So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this evening. We thank you that it is well with our soul if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Thank you for our brother and sisters sharing with us and leading us in worship. Bless them and their families. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather in the middle of the week, and we pray for all the activities that go on tonight all around the campus of the church. May you be pleased with what we try to do to learn to follow you and to serve you better. We pray that you might help us who are here tonight as we look at the book of Exodus and learn what it means to draw near to you, to worship you, and to glorify you with our lives. We pray, Lord, for those who are not with us tonight who join us online. We pray that you'd bless them in the situations they find themselves in, whatever their circumstances. May they find and discover the joy of the Lord. So it is good for us to have the opportunity to be together. We pray that you might help us to be the light of the world in these struggling, difficult times for so many. And may we share the gospel with our friends and may we all have a burden for someone who is our one person that we would love to see come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And give us spiritual desires in place of our fleshly desires so that we might really truly know what it is to have the joy of following Jesus every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, before we start, Brother Ricky, if you don't mind back there, can you bring up the house lights a little bit? We've got, we've got purple paper and for the outline, and they can't read it. Oh, never mind, Ricky, you don't have to. We now have white paper, so they can read the outline, and the children of Israel are not complaining to Moses. We're good. They were not going to have purple paper. I thought it was blue. All right. Exodus chapter 27 is where we are. Good to see all of you who are here. Those of you who are joining us online, may the Lord bless you wherever you are tonight. We are continuing our walk through the book of Exodus. We're taking, just like the children of Israel were slowly making their way across the wilderness, we are doing the same. And all of God's Word is important. All of God's Word matters so tonight we will read, uh, in just a moment, Exodus 27. All right, to remind us all again, I don't want to ever assume that anybody you know, knows all of these things. Remember, the tabernacle, the, the children of Israel have been delivered from Egypt. They are in the wilderness. They're on their way to the land God promised them. And they're out in the wilderness, and God has met with them. He has saved them. He has provided manna. He has done all these wonderful things for them. They have heard, they have seen and witnessed the power of God in so many ways. They received the Ten Commandments. This is back in Exodus 20. And most of your Bibles have like a topical, like uh, uh, maybe your Bible has at the top of each section a description of what's going on. Uh, then, in, uh, then they were given various laws in addition to the Ten Commandments so, so that they would know how to live with one another and how, so that they would know what it means uh, to love God and also to love one another. And then, they come, then we come to uh, the, the children of Israel making their covenant with God, their agreement that they will serve the Lord. And uh, then Moses goes and receives from the Lord the, uh, the instructions on how to construct their place of worship. That's what the tabernacle is. The tabernacle was a temporary tent and it was to be moved along with them as they went their way. And then in Israel, when they finally came to Israel, 
King Solomon, uh, the son of King David, built the temple of the Lord, the permanent temple in Jerusalem. And all of these things that were a part of the tabernacle, these furnishings and all these things we're looking at in detail, all came to be a part of that. Well, if you go back now in, verse, in chapter 25, just reminding you, so what is the furniture that we've seen? What have I said to you before? The tabernacle is a glimpse of what is in heaven. The tabernacle is a glimpse of what is in heaven. God is showing to, uh, to Israel and to us what it is and what does it look like to worship God. And so tonight God reveals to Moses the, the importance of building the altar of sacrifice, the courtyard around the tabernacle, and he talks about the continuation, the burning of the lampstand candle, the, 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 uh, the burning of the lampstand in the holy place should be always burning. So that's chapter number 27. But before we do that, we saw the, the Ark of the Covenant in chapter 25. <clears throat> and in this case, in this Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments, the budding rod of Aaron, and some of the manna. And it was carried with them. And there was on top of it the mercy seat. The mercy seat was made of gold. And there, as I've mentioned to you, once a year, the high priest would go in with the blood from the animal sacrifice, the innocent sacrifice, and seven times uh, he would take his index finger, dip it in the blood, and seven times he would sprinkle the blood, not saying anything. No words were spoken by the high priest in the Holy, Holy of Holies. He only does this to carry out the act of atonement. There is no singing, there is no praying, there is only the speaking of the blood. That's why that passage we read over in Hebrews is so powerful that the, the blood of the Lord Jesus speaks greater than the blood of Abel. That's how blood speaks. It's in the sacrifice. So he sprinkles it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. There it is scattered, the sprinkled blood on this mercy seat. The table of showbread placed out in the holy place, outside of the holy of holies. So there is... Uh, there's not a chair. There's no place to sit for the high priest when he goes into the very holy place, into the holy holies. And that is where the glory of God would come upon uh, the, um, the, the um, tabernacle in the, in the holy of holies. And then there's the table of showbread and the bread is to be there uh, teaching us so many things about the Lord Jesus as the bread of life and how he feeds us and cares for us. And then there's the golden lampstand. This is in chapter 25. I'm just reviewing. Then we saw last time we were together all of the detail about the curtains and the veils. The curtains and the veils and the meticulous detailed nature of how God has placed these things together. This was a movable tent structure. It was waterproofed. It was, it was uh, layered with various kinds of coverings. And these things were given in detailed instruction, and that's why we read it. And sometimes people will read the book of Exodus and they skip over all the detail. I remind you, no word of God is unimportant. Every word of God matters. And all of the words teach us about how precise God is. God is a God of precision. Just look at the created order. Look in, you know, what, what's the greatest discovery of boys and girls when they go to science class? They look in a microscope. They see things you can't see except in the microscope. What is the unbelievable thing that we have lived to see with uh, telescopes? 
peering into the vastness of space, we see things we cannot see with our eye. And the precision and the detail and the, manic, manic, the, the minute detail of all of created order, your body, my body, the way things are put together, these things are not just by chance. God is a God of detail. By the way, He knows the details of your life and mine. He knows what you're doing with all your time. He knows every thought you're thinking. By all the way, on the planet, everyone at the same time. This is the greatness of God. He knows the thoughts of the wicked. He knows the thoughts of the righteous. He knows our ways. He sees what we do in the dark. He sees what we do in the light. I'm making this point to remind you, God is a God of detail, not of generalities. Well, just kind of get it right. God doesn't say, well, just kind of get it right. He's very clear. He's clear to us about His laws because His laws help us to understand His holiness. The law of God helps us to understand His nature. A holy God teaches us how to live and treat people in a right way and be holy in that way. So we came to all of this discussion about the veils and the screens. There is the veil that separates the holy of holies from the holy place inside the tent structure. There is an apparatus and a screen that covers the door. And it's beautiful. These, these things were woven together on white linen and these beautiful colors. And there was laid in, woven into these uh, linens, the beautiful angels. So when the priest goes inside the tent, what does he see by the light of the lampstand? He sees above him the blues and the scarlets and uh, the, the, the angels. He's now entered into heaven on earth. The tabernacle was heaven on earth for Israel. Though none of Israel's people ever saw it except the priests saw the holy place and the high priest only saw the holy of holies. So I take you back as we, uh, as we did last week, and I'll, I'm doing this to remind you of the importance of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is described in the book of Exodus as being constructed twice. The first, the first of this description is giving us the general descriptions that Moses gave, uh, that God gave to Moses in, in these details. But then we have the actual recording and the building of the tabernacle later in Exodus. We'll see that, Lord willing, in the days ahead. But then we come to, uh, and I want you to go over there to it for a moment, and I'm reviewing this so that we're all together. Exodus 40, let's go to Exodus 40. And begin to read in verse number 32. Exodus 40, number 32. Exodus 40, 32. When they entered the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. That is, they that, that is Aaron, Moses and Aaron and his sons are coming now to enter into the tabernacle. He, he erected the court all around the tabernacle. That's the courtyard we're going to talk about tonight and the altar we're going to talk about tonight and, and uh, hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Now these are very important verses. Exodus 40, 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. 
But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. So the light, of the, the light within the tabernacle shined day and night among the children of Israel. And how did they do it? They put the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. So wherever Israel camped, they all had their assigned tribes and where, how they were arranged around the tabernacle. And in the very middle of the camp was the meeting place of God, the tabernacle, to show them the importance of God being in their midst and how important it is to worship God. Now that is very important for all of us who are believers. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, I remind you tonight, is with us here. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. So we honor the Lord Jesus for His presence because we've come to honor Him. And now we learn, we're doing this tonight. How do you draw near to God in worship? Well, one of the ways you do it, a very important part, is to read the Bible together, to gather together, and now let God, the Holy Spirit, teach us from God's Word. So now we come to uh, Exodus 27, <clears throat> and we'll read this together. Remember, every don't skip over any words. Every, I had a friend, he said, well, you know, we got our, people, our Bible study group was reading Leviticus, but boy, sure, it sure seemed a lot of detail, so we skipped over a lot. No, 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 no. Pastor Mike, no. We don't skip over any words. We read them all because every one of them matter. Like we read last week, sockets and rings and veils and goat hair coverings, it all matters. And you shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long. Remember, I've mentioned to you, acacia wood was a wood known to be, uh, it was permanent wood. It, was, it would not decay. This wood would not decay. The Ark of the Covenant made out of it. Many of the pieces of the uh, tabernacle furnishings and structures are underneath the gold is acacia wood. And you shall make the uh, altar of acacia wood five cubits long, five cubits wide, and the altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns, so on top of the uh, acacia wood altar were horns on each corner. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be one, one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. And you shall make its pails for removing its ashes, and its shovels, and its basin, and its forks, and its firepans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make for it a grating of network of bronze, and on the net you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners." You shall put it beneath, under the ledge of the altar, so that the net will reach halfway up the altar. You shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, overlay them with bronze. Its poles shall be inserted into the rings, so that the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with planks, as it was shown to you in the mountain, so they shall make it. Again, this is, the offer, this is the altar of burnt offerings. So think of, your, think of, of, of a grill and the grating and the grades and all the apparatus that goes on to something that is going to be burning meats. Burning. It's a burning altar. 
you shall make the court of the tabernacle. Now, verse 9, on the south side there shall be hangings for the court of fine twisted linen, 100 cubits long for one side, and its pillars shall be 20 with their 20 sockets of bronze, the hooks of the pillars, and their bands shall be of silver. So you see this picture of bronze and silver being put together. Likewise, for the north side in the length, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long and 20 uh, and it's uh, 20 pillars with 20 sockets of bronze, the hooks of the pillars, and their bands shall be of silver. For the width of the court on the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The width of the court on each on uh, east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings for the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. And for the other side, there shall be hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. For the gate of the court there shall be a screen of 20 cubits of blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine twisted linen, same colors as before. <clears throat> this is the gate for the courtyard. The gate of the courtyard has the same beautiful uh, colors of pictures that we have on the screen at the entrance of the uh, holy place, and then within you have the same beautiful colors on the ceiling and on the veil that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. For the gate of the court shall be a screen of 20 cubits, blue, purple, scarlet material, and fine twisted linen, the work of a weaver with their four pillars and their four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall be furnished uh, with silver bands and with hooks of silver and with their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits and the width 50 throughout and the height 5 cubits of fine twisted linen and their sockets of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle used in uh, all its service, so all its pegs and pegs of the cord and shall be of bronze. And then we come to the lampstand, the oil, and the lighting, and the, and the continual light of the lampstand. You shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually. In the tent of meeting outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall keep it in order from evening to morning, before the Lord, it shall be a perpetual statute throughout their generations for the sons of Israel. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of your word. May the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here tonight, we set our minds on heaven again, my dear friends. And we think about, we think about the altar, the burnt, the burnt, the altar of sacrifice, the courtyard of the tabernacle, and the light of the lampstand. Three very important truths that we learn so much about the Lord Jesus and about the gospel from these things. These are pictures of heavenly things. They are, as I've said to you before, they are pictures. And I, I did want to mention earlier, and all of us, because of our computers, it, it, you really should, if you've never done it, just go out and look at some of the artwork, the art renderings of the tabernacle. Just look at what it looks like. Uh, there's some very good uh, depictions of it. I've, I've chosen not to try to pick one, print it. Just, just go out and look at them if you've never done that. It, would, it will be very helpful to you and you'll find it very instructive. 
because as we're reading through this, you'll see it. Then also, I'll give you a hint, as we start, uh, Lord willing, next week, we'll start to look at the what do the priests wear. And there's some very good pictures of what the priests would wear. And all of these things are important because we, we learn that they point us toward our Savior and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to the altar of sacrifice on your outline just for a moment. Remember now, this stands outside the tabernacle. There the tabernacle is tented. It, it's got its tent structure around it. It has its wood form shaping it up, holding it in place. Within the tabernacle, as I've said, there is a holy place. And there is a holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant is there. The Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies is only entered once a year by the high priest of Israel. The priests, the priestly line of Israel, uh, the Levites, they do their work outside at this altar and also in the holy place. And we'll have some other things to say about that. And there'll be some other pieces of furniture we'll talk about some other things in the days ahead. So it's made of wood, it's topped with bronze, and so what about the horns? We read there about the horns. This, remember, this is out in the courtyard. This becomes a very powerful image for us. What stands before meeting with God? An altar. What stands between meeting with God? An altar. You must go to the altar first, the sacrificing altar, in order to meet God. This lesson is essential for us. And we'll evaluate that in just a moment and make an application. But there it stood. It was, it was not of gold. It was bronze. It was covered in bronze, the metal of bronze, uh, with a few silver pieces on the sides of the hooks where the poles were. The poles were put inside the altar and they remained in it because they moved this thing. You don't take the poles out. The altar moves with the people of Israel. And it's always sitting out there in front of the door, the screen into the holy place. The altar, these horns become very important because when we'll read, there's some examples in the Old Testament where, and in the Levitical law, that if you're a criminal, if you've caused death or you're in danger, you flee to the altar and you hold the horns. You grab the horns of the altar. And this description of grabbing the horns of the altar is one where the person is calling out for God's power and protection and God's help. Uh, there, were no, there were no, in the ancient world, uh, when you compare altars that were made uh, to the false gods, none of these altars had horns on each of the ends. This is unique to uh, Israel and to the worship of the true God. So these horns, so you have to imagine this is an altar with horns on each corner made of bronze with all of the intimate detail, intricate detail of how you put it together and the grates and how does it, it you know, detail such as, you know, we read there, uh, you make the grating, verse 4, you make the grating of network of bronze and on the net you shall make four bronze rings and you shall put it beneath and under the ledge. Why? Because you're going to have... Uh, Blood and meat being cooked on this, being smoked and burned perpetually. It's 
Think about cleaning your grill. And it never stops. It never stops. The sacrifice, as I've said to this church repeatedly, the smoke rises and the blood flows in order to have access to God in Israel. The smoke rises and the blood flows and the killing of innocent animals goes on. Saying something very important. It takes the death of an innocent one to cover and make atonement for the sins of the guilty. So the courtyard is next. Why the courtyard being important? <clears throat> well, it's important for us to understand this because this is, the, this is the gathering place. This is where Israel, the people would gather. And this is also where the priests would come in and out. And so you see the detail of all the various linens that hang around the courtyard to give it its boundaries. And this is the description you have as we read in verses 9 through 18. Uh, in uh, Exodus 40, verse number 33, I just I, I put it there for you on your outline. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar. This is Moses, and hung up the veil for the gateway of the courtyard uh, for the court. And thus Moses finished his work. We read that just a moment ago. So the courtyard is there, and we'll say some more about that in application in a minute. And then you have the oil for the lampstand, the oil. The oil is used, we'll see in, uh, the, uh, the oil is used also as a picture of the Holy Spirit of God coming upon the priests of God. They're anointed with oil. The same picture here is the oil gives the light. It is the fuel that fuels the light of the lampstand. And the lampstand is, you know, there in the holy place. That's the only source of light inside the tent. That one lampstand. There's the table, the showbread table with the bread on it, and there's the lamp, and there's a veil, and inside the veil is the Ark of the Covenant, and that's the place where the glory of God would come and stay and remain while Israel was in the wilderness. So it's clear beaten oil. You saw it there in verse 20. <clears throat> the children of Israel bring the clear beaten oil. It's not provided for them. You bring the oil. You bring your sacrifice and you bring your oil. And these are given as offerings in order that the light might shine. And what was, what was to happen? Notice in verse 20, the light was to burn continually. Once this was, once this was built and once they, they, they lit the light, while they were in camp, the light was on continually. Then they would move and they would light it and they would, again, this is the day and night. And I did want to point out to you, remember that for, for, the, for the Hebrew world, a day starts at night, not in the morning. Did you notice you saw the language of that? This is, uh, this is important by, even from the design of creation, from evening to morning before the Lord. That's, that's the Hebrew way of looking at a day, evening to morning. The sunset is the beginning of the new day, and it comes the other way. We Westerners flip it. <clears throat> so with all of this said, brothers and sisters, what do we learn tonight? Well, I have several things for you. I've given you, I think, about uh, 
nine of them. Some of them I'll be briefer on than others, but I do want to elaborate on this a little bit. So I'm going to come back to it now. There, here stands a bronze altar that demands sacrifice. You cannot worship God until you sacrifice. The first act, maybe I would say, of worshiping God is sacrifice. In, or, in other words, the sinner must make atonement <clears throat> by the offering of the burnt sacrifice in order that they might have access to God. And coming to the altar is the first place you go in order to worship. We call this the altar at the front of the church house. You have, you have this matter of coming to the altar that we talk about in church. You come to the altar. Why do you come to the altar? Well, you come to the altar because it requires that we repent of our sins and make things right so that we, we offer our sacrifice in order to worship God. And I gave you Psalm 116, 17. I could have given you a number of verses. Uh, to you I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. This is what we do as we begin to enter into worship and we begin by sacrifice. We sacrifice this way. And secondly, no one can approach God except by sacrifice. Now let me just read. I didn't want you to have to turn to this, so I'm giving you Leviticus chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. Let me just read the Word of God. Listen now. No one can approach God except by sacrifice. The book of Leviticus gives in detail the sacrifices that are to be made by the nation of Israel. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd or the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall slay the young bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall offer the blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar. That is, at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Blood being sprinkled by the... Just get it in your mind now. Here's the line of people. Here's Israel. They've come to worship. They all have their animal. Here they bring their animal. The animal is slayed. And the blood is sprinkled around this the altar. There's blood always being sprinkled around this altar. Blood flowing. Blood flowing. I'm trying to get this in our minds. Blood flowing and animals dying. And the flesh burned completely. This is the importance for us to see of what God is teaching. Did God need a sacrifice? Of course not. This is to teach us, dear friends, what it means, what it takes for sin to be forgiven. It takes the innocent dying for the guilty. This is the lesson of the tabernacle. This is the lesson of the bronze altar, the altar of sacrifice. And the Lord Jesus, uh, third, is the altar and sacrifice for our sins. He is both the, the altar and the sacrifice. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 13, let's read it. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. 
for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin is burned outside the camp. What did they do with all the skins? They took all of that, all those carcasses, and they took them outside the camp, and guess what they did? Burned them up. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. That's where they crucified the Lord, outside the gates of Jerusalem. He died on Golgotha, outside of the city of Jerusalem. So let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city. Hope we remember that tonight. Dixon isn't your lasting city. <laughs> Nashville's not your lasting city. But we are seeking the city which is to come. It's beyond this world. Through him then let us, please notice now, what does it do? Through us, through the Lord Jesus, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of, of lips that give thanks to his name. The first sacrifice you and I make every day is to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the good Thank you, Lord, for the bad. Thank you, Lord, for my condition. Thank you, Lord, for my children's condition, my grandchildren. Thank you, Lord, for the condition of the world. We say thank you. And that's a to say thank you when things are not good is sacrifice. And that is what we learn to do. The altar stood, by the way, the altar stood before the tabernacle door and the cross stands before the door of heaven. You cannot go to heaven unless you go to the cross. You cannot go to heaven unless you go to the cross. While I'm on this subject, I, want, I wanted to, I didn't put this on your outline, but if you'll turn over to Exodus 29, 18, uh, you have a wonderful verse there <clears throat> talking about, uh, and we'll look at this in some detail, what you, how the priests were to take the, uh, read in 17, then you shall cut the ram into pieces, wash its entrails and its legs and put them, with its pieces and its head, and you shall offer up in smoke the whole ram on the altar. Now imagine uh, you, some of you hunters, you're going to lay the whole ram on the, this is, an alt, this is a good size altar. Uh, and it is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is, please notice the language, it is a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this same thing. He says, walk in love. This is written to us now as believers. Ephesians 5, 2. I'll just read it real quick. Walk in, this is for us now who are believers. Walk in love as Christ loved you and gave himself up <clears throat> for us. Now listen to this language. An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Why would we say such a thing? Does God have to smell sacrifice? No, but he's describing that sacrifice is a sweet thing to God. It satisfies his justice. Who would worship a God who was not just about sin? Who would serve a God who is unjust and cuts people deals? The wrath of God is tied to the justice of God. And because God is a holy and just God, He cannot 
He cannot have fellowship with sin. This is our problem, dear people. And because of that, what do we have to have? Sacrifice. And guess what? The sweet aroma that comes. So on that burning altar, burning that the flesh, consuming that flesh of these animals, there was a sweet aroma going up to God. Which means there was a satisfaction in the sacrifice. Number four, every believer must present themselves as a living and holy sacrifice. I preached on this not long ago, Romans 12, 1. I beseech you by the mercies of God, present yourselves to God a living and holy sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. Look, until I die to myself, I will never be born to new life in Jesus Christ. I have to die to myself. I have to die. You have to die. You have to die to your selfishness. You have to die to your rights. You have to die to your own desires. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you must die. What did the Lord say? If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Death is the way to life. What does the altar say at the tabernacle? Death is the way to life. Death is the way to life. The world says Avoid death at all costs. Don't worry about death. Deal with it as it comes. Talking with one of our uh, dear women today, she was calling me about her thinking some people were witnessing to her. that were. She was witnessing some people who were not believers, and they were just saying, these young women were saying to her, well, you know, when you die, you're just like an animal. You just die, and that's it. Really? How do you know that? As I've said to people who have said that to me, what are you basing? How do you know that? You have to go to some source to determine what's true and not. Well, the Lord Jesus said He was God come in the flesh, and He was speaking to us what God had to say. The Lord didn't say that. The Lord said that everybody's going to stay. Everybody's going to still live after they die, either in heaven or hell. Every one of us. The world, the whole planet. So someone can console themselves, well, I'm just going to die like a dog and dust, go to dust and that'll be it. But no, you have an eternal soul. And your eternal soul never dies. Never. So the condition of your life is important and that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. The courtyard of the tabernacle reminds us that God is holy and unapproachable without the blood of Christ. Why all this separation? There's the holy of holies back in here. There's a holy place. There's all these separations, these veils and all the veils and the courtyard. Well, it is to remind us that we only can come to God through the blood of Christ. And I gave you Hebrews 9.22. According to the law, one may almost say that all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. <clears throat> That's why our Lord Jesus died. But there's something else about the courtyard. It's similar to what we've done here tonight. You know, this is our meeting place. Like I've said to you, the only old preachers called church house. The church house was the meeting place. Um, we gather here. The courtyard was the place where the people of God gathered. And I remind you, you know, in the days in which we've just gone through in the last years, yes, I understand people couldn't come. There was sickness. There was pestilence and troubles and whatever else. But there is nothing sadder. There's nothing that harms a person more than to neglect being in worship with other believers. We gather together because God made us to do that. And I'm not trying to fuss at our people who don't come. I'm really not. I'm sad when they don't come. 
because we need to be together. It's a part of our growing together in Christ. Yes, I walk with God, I pray with God, I do things on my own, but we need one another. We love one another and we need one another. So the courtyard was very important. And then the lamps, so the courtyard would be filled with the people on the Day of Atonement and the courtyard would be filled with people bringing their sacrifices, singing praise, doing all that they did as uh, the, the people of God. And they were also observing the priests, going about the work of the service of worship for the people. It was an amazing thing to see, both in the tabernacle and the temple. But the lamp stand in the holy place burns continually. And what does it remind us all of tonight? Well, God is light and in Him there's no darkness. Well, who is God? God is, God, God is light. I read to you from 1 John 1, 9. I put it there on your 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we've heard from Him. God is light and in Him is no darkness. That is such an important truth. Light pushes back darkness. Have you ever got up, you know, many of you are early risers. You watch as the sun starts to rise and pushes back the darkness. It's a beautiful thing to see, isn't it? It pushes it back. The light pushes back the darkness. It just, the darkness cannot overpower the light. The light is so important. Why tonight? You saw the importance. You couldn't read a purple outline. You needed light to read it. Heaven is the place of eternal light and day of God. Let's think about heaven for a moment. You've been thinking about, you've heard the news about bombs and Russia and gas prices and whatever else you want to gripe about in this miserable world. Now let's think about something glorious. Revelation 21. I saw no temple in the new heaven and earth, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the, the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb of God. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there, is, there will be no nighttime. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven is, heaven is eternal day. Uh, the old rabbis called it the eighth day. The eighth day. The eternal day. It's always day. It's always light in heaven. It's a glorious thing to think about. And the Lord Jesus said, number eight, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. Please look at his language. The light of life. What does light do? It gives life, doesn't it? It sustains life. I moved here from Colorado with Pat. Uh, you know, it's an altitude out there where uh, truly uh, out of... Uh, uh, how many days are there in a year? 365. 
truly their, their uh, chamber of commerce thing is that 350 days a year sunshine. And that's about right, really, truly. Lived in California. Lived out in the, uh, years ago, uh, out there in the San Joaquin Valley. Sunshine's all the time. Got to Tennessee. I didn't even know if the sun shined in the state of Tennessee for months and days and forever. We love the light, don't we? We need the light. The sun and the light, but we need the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And lo and behold, what does the Lord say to us, number nine? <laughs> We've been talking about it. What are we in the world? The world is dark, but we are light. You were formerly darkness. I'm just reading Ephesians 5.8. Now remember, Paul's writing to Christians. Okay? You were formerly darkness. That's me and you. When we were not believers, we, we didn't, when we were not saved, as we call it. When we were not saved, we were dark. We thought dark things. We lived in dark. We liked the dark. We don't want to come out of the dark. We wanted to stay in the dark because our deeds were evil. We don't want anybody to see what we did. You were formerly darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light. In other words, so what does light produce? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is how you show people light. You're good to people when they're bad to you. You're good. You're good in your business affairs. You're good in your relationships and your marriage and your children. You're good. You're a, you have goodness like God has goodness. He's put it in us. The fruit of the light. What is light? What is being in the light, walking as children? We are good. We are righteous. That means we seek to live by God's laws. We're not perfect at it. We still fail. We sin. We confess our sin. But we seek now to live like Jesus Christ. We, we want to tell the truth. We want to be honorable. We want to love people. We want to pray for our enemies. We want to help people. We want to serve. We want to be kind. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. We know the difference between lies and truth. And isn't the world filled with lies? And people believe the lie. The lies rather than the truth. Now notice what he says. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's what you do when you're in the light. I want to know what God is pleased with. What does God want me to do? What does God not want me to do? <clears throat> this is part of what it means to walk in the light. And do not participate in deeds of darkness, but expose them. Well, this is the problem with our friends who are not saved. When you, when you really start to walk with God, your light bothers them. It's like, I don't want to be around you. You bother me. Because we expose and make them feel awkward about their lying, sinful ways. We're not trying to judge them. It's just that we're different and they don't like it. We expose them. But all things, please notice Paul's last phrase and we're done. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything becomes visible, for everything becomes visible is light. To the praise of the glory of His grace, the Lord is near. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. There stands an altar at the before the tabernacle, there stands a cross at the door of heaven.
May the Lord give us wisdom. It is always good to see you, and I hope tonight's been a blessing to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. The light, the light of the Lord shines in our hearts. It's brought us, it's awakened us and brought us as we have awakened as sleepers in our sin, and now we are alive in the light. The light has awakened us, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're alive in the light. It's good to be in the light. And how we look forward to the eternal day of being in your presence. We can't imagine what heaven must be like, Lord. We have no you've tried to help us understand some of it, but we, we have well what a glorious thing. It will be better than the best days on earth. Compounded. That's why we look forward to being with you. But while we're here, may we live as children of the light. And may we die to ourselves and live for you. Bless all these, my friends, who are here tonight. Bless those who listen to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.